everybody. Happy Scary Movie Month and welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Scary movie love for scary movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're talking about our favorite horror movies of all time. And I am joined by the man behind the theremin, JB. I'm dead. I'm sorry to hear that. Tired of people making fun of Halloween and October. (laughs) Knock it off. This is our month. Go away. Uh, We are several days into Scary Movie Month at the time of this recording, and so you guys have been kicking all kinds of ass on the Scary Movie Challenge. Yes. Every time you watch a scary movie in October, go to fthismovie.com and leave a seven-word review. We're going to be reading some of our favorites. You want to just go ahead and start there? It's fun and free. It is fun and free. And I must say, um, I was trying to spread the love and uh, trying not to repeat the same people. But when people are clever, they tend to be clever. So I have some shining stars in this list. You want to go back and forth? Let's do it. And then... Uh, my guess is we're going to repeat a couple because a couple were just too good. Jeremy Wicket starts Scary Movie Month off right with Dracula from 1931 saying, This movie is the life, Mr. Renfield. Uh, Lindsay says of The Unknown from 1927, Joan Crawford has those Betty Davis eyes. Which I really liked a lot and appreciated her. Uh, appreciated that being a silent film. Brett Cullum watches the new 2018 version of Suspiria and comments, which, please, Dancing Kills, just ask Olga. I have a really good Suspiria one. Uh, I actually thought we the could... The original sus- Suspiria. I actually thought we could suspend the rules just for Brett and let him post a two-word review of Suspiria from 2018. I thought, which, please, which, please is good. Just, yeah. it says it all. Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Ross says of Suspiria 1977, needs another hour and a hostage crisis. Yeah, I almost included that. Joel Edmonston. Our uh, friend from Canada. Edmonston, who gets a star because his have been great this year so far. Uh, Comments on Midnight Meat Train from uh, 2008. And I thought my commute was rough. (laughs) Uh, Stuart Gordon, extra points for putting gore in there. I know what you did last summer. If the Facebook memories prototype went haywire. (laughs) (coughs) The Shape reviews Misery from 1990. And the review reads, Dirty Bird needs snow tires on cock-a-duty car. That's our first overlap there. I had that one too. Jonathan Mills of Revenge from 2017. Better Ant POV than a movie called Ant-Man. <laughs> Catherine reviews The Thing from Another World, the original from 1951. I'm so in love with this review. Leave it outside. Nobody's going to steal it. <laughs> uh, here's another Joel Edmiston one from uh, Black Christmas, 1974. Michael, it's Marvin, your cousin, Marvin Myers. That's on my list, too. That's very, very good. Uh, Dan P. uh, reviews Roger Corman's Tower of London from 1962, and the review reads, God damn, that's some beautiful hair, Vincent. And I actually had to go to Google to remember what what the wig was, because I would say that would also suffice as a review of Fall of the House of Usher, because he's got that beautiful Mm -hmm. silver Mm -hmm. fox Mm -hmm. Quaff. <laughs> uh, Cullen of the Slumber Party Massacre. 
Michael, Jason, Freddy, Leatherface, Pinhead, this guy. <laughs> okay, hold on. My handwriting is not what it should be, and I have to make sure I can say all these words right. Brian Pope, who also gets a star because his reviews this year have been terrific, <laughs> reviews The Hitcher from 1987. Hitcher Hauer horrifies Harried Howell. Lay splits. <laughs> um, Castro Drano of Rawhead Rex. Water sports baptism equals small worshiper turnout. I like it. Uh, Casey Dornan. Casey Dornan? Sorry if I'm screwing that up. My handwriting is not what it used to be. Casey Dornan reviews uh, Life Force. From 1985, nice. and writes, Two Dudes Kiss, All Hell Breaks Loose. Uh, Shannon Briggs, Evan Costello Meet Frankenstein. Glenn Strange, hashtag not my Frankenstein's monster. That one made me a little sad, because I think <laughs> Glenn Strange is just fine. In fact, that was the first movie I watched yeah. this year for Scary Movie Month. That's a good opener. Joel Edmiston Again. reviews Creep Show 2 from 1987. Theme through all three stories. Casual racism. Uh, Gil B. of Friday the 13th, 1980. Counselors ill-equipped to face their mommy issues. Yeah, I like that one too. Ross reviews Dawn of the Dead from 1978 and writes, And now it's malls that are dead. Which I love. Marcus Killerby of Hereditary. Best use of Chekhov's nuts I've seen. And that one left me scratching my head because... There's a character with a nut allergy in the movie that um, is very important. Okay. I Also, Chekhov's balls. I need to get on the ball. Yeah. Um, that's it for me from day one. Now I venture into day two. Okay. Uh, Mike Haler reviews Hereditary from 2018. Some men want to watch Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> Uh, Matt Lore of the Banana Splits movie. Relax, it only feels five nights long, which yeah. is a very clever one. That that almost made my list. Robin, and I believe this is our Robin. Oh, hi, Robin. Um, from House on Haunted Hill from 1959, which it seems like all of us watched the first week. Um, Robin on House on Haunted Hill from 1959 uh, writes, I see nothing wrong with this marriage. <laughs> Uh, Jeremy Wicket of Alien Covenant. Freud. Sometimes a flute's just a robo-penis. <laughs> Cursey Resch reviews A Quiet Place from 2018, just last year. And it's in parentheses, and it says, Best Sign Language Seven-Word Review Ever. <laughs> which I love for more than one reason. Jewels of Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. That's it. This is The Final Friday. And now I move on to day three. All right. Um, Cullen reviews Psycho from 1960 and writes, Sometimes Norman can be a real drag. Kelly Shea, our friend of House of a Thousand Corpses. Who got to sculpt dead fish boy Dwight? <laughs> our friend Chaby uh, reviews Cannibal. The deepest of cuts. Oh, the stuff he's been posting on Twitter that yeah. he's been watching is like, what swamp <laughs> did you get these VHS tapes from? Oh, my God. Does that one have mold on the side of it? Did some some uh, uh, 
closed uh, rental shop of yeah. the damned. You <laughs> broke into it one night and stole tapes. Chaby reviews Cannibal Hookers and writes, Tastes like chicken with hints of gonorrhea. <laughs> um, Jeff K. of Friday the 13th Part 2. Ginny roleplays as mom. Still would smash. Metaform 3D. What an odd moniker. Uh, reviews the original Dracula from 1931 and writes, Zero to Dracula in under seven minutes. <laughs> Which... Those universal terms are peppy. Yes. Very peppy. Well, they yeah. don't waste your time. And for me, that's it for day three. Now I move to day four. Okay. Uh, Miko, our friend from Finland of Leatherface, the te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3. <laughs> Vigo folds you in half before eating. <laughs> that's an amazing one. I like that one a lot. Uh, someone named that Monkey. won an Oscar, by the way. Monkey with a U. Who's been watching all kinds of stuff. Reviews, uh, it came from outer space from 1953 and writes, aliens aren't scary. Joshua trees are terrifying. I have a monkey also of Night of the Creeps. Flamethrower, cool, but did you try salt? I like that one. I like that one. Frank Levesque, whose name seems very familiar and he plays along with us every year. Is that not a very familiar name? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Frank's got great reviews. Frank Levesque reviews Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow and writes, Before Johnny Depp based roles on hats. <laughs> um, Rosalie Lewis, our very own Rosalie Lewis of Monkey Shines. Murder, mayhem, monkeys, medical malarkey, mildly melancholy. That I'm a sucker for the alliterative list. ones. I love the alliterative ones. I'm a sucker for the puns. Uh, our very own Eric Ashberschlager. Ah, yes. Speaking of puns. Reviews Shadow of the Vampire from 2000. Do you remember what you were on? No. Only time Willem Dafoe's acted without makeup. <laughs> um, and another... that's it for me from day four. Okay, another one from uh, one of our people. We try to avoid reading our own people's reviews, but uh, I thought this was so funny. From Mike Pomero of Cat People from 1942. When will psychiatrists believe our cat Cat stories? stories. Yeah, I like that one a lot. (laughs) Brian Sager reviews Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from 1986. Underground lair complete with illuminated exit (laughs) signage. Jonathan Becker of Hereditary. There's mom crawling on the ceiling again. (laughs) (coughs) Jeremy Wickett. Reviews the gate and writes, just fucking call mom and dad already. <laughs> uh, Daniel Epler of The Furies, which a lot of people have been watching. Uh, real missed opportunity for some pirate eyewear. There you go. Uh, Brian Sager, who I give a star to as well. His reviews have been excellent this year. Reviews The Exorcist and writes, forget the priest. Send Reagan a chiropractor. Uh, Brian Pope of Graduation Day. Jesus Christ, Vanna, you get an F. I like that one, too. Jeff K. reviews the uh, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing and writes, Mustacheless Brimley, more unsettling than the entire film. Um, and my last one is Jason Stevens of Dead Heat. A Walking Corpse is Piscopo's premiere role. And my last one I memorized but probably not well enough because I didn't write it down. Um, friend of the site, Mike Pickley, yes. uh, reviews uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and 
this will not be seven words, but you can look it up. Uh, imagine these people at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Someone went in and, and wrote at the bottom of my list, Erica Bromley is the cutest. And I don't know who wrote it. That's it's not, only yeah, five It's only words. five words. But I'm going to find out who snuck in and wrote this on here. Uh, Could it be one of your children? Uh, it's possible. Those rapscallions. I don't think it was them. <laughs> Then who else has access? Oh, it was. Oh, it was. Boy, am I dumb? Let me let me explain for a second how dumb I am. Because I told this story at Mike's last night, and everyone agreed. That's a funny story, and you're dumb. Uh, last weekend we were at Disney, the happiest place on earth. Yeah, we were. And um, I got to Hollywood Studios before the rest of the group, and I had a little time to kill. And there's Chip and Dale. The line is short. I would like my picture with Chip and Dale. I keep trying to remember which is which. And the um, enthusiastic handler gave me two ways uh, to tell them apart, none of which I'm going to share. And um, I almost got to the front of the line to get my picture taken with Chip and Dale. And then the handler said, Chip and Dale have got to take a 30-second break, and they'll be right back. So nobody go anywhere. And they, they left, and I'm picturing two exhausted, heat-stroked employees taking off the head, having a quick glass of water. Uh, maybe there's a fan that's blowing on them, and then head back on. And sure enough, 30 seconds, they come back out. Wow. And I told you that story when yes. you got to the studio, and you said, well, no, they swapped them out for another Chip and Dale. And that had never occurred to me. <laughs> I'm like, well, of course Chip and Dale get a 30-second sec- break every half an hour. I'm so I'm so <laughs> stupid. And then later we're at that Halloween party and we saw Winnie the Pooh and his friends go for their 30 second break and it was almost like a sight gag. You see six characters disappear and then the same six characters as if they turned a corner and just came right back out. Yeah. I'm like that's that's impressive. Yeah. Anyway, I'm a dope. Are we doing, uh, have you seen anything lately, or are we just jumping right into our topic? Let's jump right in. Okay. Um, so here's the deal. We thought of this idea. Let's talk about some of our, because the first year of the site, 2010, we did this show on these movies that you should watch for Halloween, and my memory was we did our five favorites. And so let's revisit and see if they've changed. And then I went back and re-listened to the show. As did I. And I realized we didn't do our five favorites. We did what we thought were the five best horror movies ever made. Yeah, although uh, one thing uh, where I I was listening to it again, and I hardly ever listen to podcasts that old, um, that I keep insisting back then that it's subjective, that it's very subjective. So clearly I'm indicating that it's not like we're academics Correct. doing a presentation at some university symposium that our personal likes and dislikes are going to enter in. But when you listened to that old episode, did you find that you were very much doing the best as opposed to your favorites? Yes, I think so. Okay. And I think I was doing that too because listening to it again, I... I found that I was very much in teacher mode. Okay. Down to the way I sounded. <laughs> I was I sent you a text. Yeah. I was amazed 
at how much different we sound nine years ago. Now, this is not an insult. This is an observation. You sound like you're 12. I've, you, lived, a lot of, I've lived a lot of years since then. Your voice is much different of, now drinking. than it was nine years ago. Yeah. And I'm, nine years ago, in teacher mode. I'm still teaching. I've got eight years until I retire. And I make my living talking almost nonstop, yeah. eight hours a day, and I'm still in that mode. And I'm listening to it, and I'm like, boy, can, can that guy talk? <laughs> he just talks. And now... I don't talk to anyone. So I think if you compare, like, listen to the last podcast I was on and then listen to the one nine years ago. Now it's like, well, I don't know. It's whatever you say. I don't know. Maybe not that bad, but I noticed no. the difference. I also noticed I love when we make each other laugh. Okay. And it's genuine. Yeah. It's not like we're putting on a show. Right. Um, and also, there's a whole bunch of stuff at the beginning that's uh what's the word very annoying it takes us <laughs> what's the word oh yes annoying it we keep we keep uh teasing okay. what we're about to say but you know that phenomenon yeah, yeah, yeah. where yeah. it takes us a while to actually get to it and in that section um it's full of tropes that would later show up again and again and again on other podcasts like um, seeing stuff when you're young and chasing the dragon right, and that whole right, concept. Right. But um, finally, after I listened to it, and clearly I'm patting myself on the back, I thought it was a pretty good podcast, and I thought we had really good taste. Yeah. I think now I'm much less, well, we have to teach the youth of America sure. what the canon is of these films and i think that's how my list has changed okay that makes sense so in terms of what you said before these are much more my favorites right. rather than right what some what some fucking academic would say and we love all the movies on the best list that we made there was nothing that was on there that i felt embarrassed by um no for those of you who do not want to go back and listen. We don't blame you. Oh, no, I recommend it. It's annoying. It. No, it was a hell of a thing. And and oddly enough... We it, hadn't been doing it that long at that point, so... Yeah, it and, and it Certain went by things, very quickly. I was surprised at how quickly it went. I don't even think we were calling it Scary Movie Month or Scary Movie Challenge. Like, those things, I think, existed, but we hadn't codified them yet. And we were so... It was so early in us doing it that... It turned out to be like an hour and 45 minutes. So, oh, right. <laughs> so we split it, which yeah. was really stupid because yeah. that's the only time we've ever done that. One other time. There was a Star Wars podcast that we split. Now we would just let it run. Correct. And uh, But the second half of that show was our least favorite horror movies, which that I would be embarrassed by, not only because we try not to do that kind of stuff anymore, but also because my list is so ridiculous. It's like mother of tears and like i don't like mother of tears but is it one of the worst horror movies ever made absolutely not and my list contains night of the lepus which about every three years rises to the surface and people <laughs> watch it and comment on it and warner archive yeah right put out a blu-ray right, right. so that um a lot of people notice there's footage from it at the end of natural born killers yeah uh, i mean there's footage from every movie ever made in natural born <laughs> killers but those of you who do not want to go back through the archives um here's what we wound up saying 
And I think at least one of us had ranked them, but in the podcast we decided not to do any ranking. So in no particular order, my five were Halloween from 1978, The Exorcist from 1973, Bride of Frankenstein from 1935, Night of the Living Dead from 1968, and Psycho from 1960. Very conventional choices. Uh, very textbook on that. And Patrick's were The Thing from 1982, The Shining from 1980, Dracula from 1931, Dawn of the Dead from 1978, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1932. That's what we said nine years ago. Do you have crossover between your list then and your list now? One. Okay. One I do film. as well. I one mean, I'm, film I stays. Can, yeah, I can kind of guess what the one film is. As but. much as I tried to, let's shake it up. But, uh, you know, just for the sake of the podcast, lie. <laughs> Say something you don't really believe, as long as it's entertaining. Everyone else in American society seems to be doing it. Yeah. Just say whatever you want. <laughs> Say whatever you want. Um, what film is still on the list? Bride of Frankenstein. And you are correct, sir. Yeah. You know me too well. Um, it's just too damn good. Yeah. I'm searching for another universal horror film that's, dare I say, half as good. I mean, it does everything that every other universal film does, but better. Right. You can't, you can't beat it. So that's one of my five. Okay. The, the winner and still champion. Is it your number one? Do you have a number one? Ranking. Is, I didn't really rank mine, no. but I do have like a favorite horror movie. And that's actually one thing that I like from that podcast. That very early on, the ranking goes out the window yep. because, come on, right. we're splitting hairs. What is your favorite horror film of all time? Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Which I still kind of scratch my head about because really? we've discussed this before. Okay. The whole Nightmare on Elm Street versus Halloween debate. Okay. Not that it's a competition, but I love Halloween a lot more than Nightmare on Elm Street. And you have said on more than one occasion, orally and in print on this movie, that Halloween sort of leaves you cold. Yeah, it's a movie that I admire a great deal, but I don't feel a lot for. And I have that exact same okay. reaction okay. to Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. So. Okay, yeah. No, Nightmare on Elm Street for me is like speaks to sort of the stuff I want out of a horror movie. It comes down to the debate between... I mean, I I think it's genuinely scary, but I like all the imagination that goes into it, whereas Halloween is much more sort of straightforward, like, there's this guy, and he's a real guy, and he wants to kill you. Right, and there's that thing in... Um Oh, where's my brain? The documentary that I talk about endlessly where Brian Yuzna is is commenting on Nightmare on Elm Street and how groundbreaking it is because so much of it is so surreal. Like when the right, telephone right. becomes the mouth right. and shoves its tongue down. We're right. not talking about Haddonfield, Illinois anymore. Right, exactly. He says we're talking plastic reality. In truth, though, um, there's a wonderful book by David Skull called... Um, uh, the Monster Show, where he suggests that in every generation there's societal factors that contribute to why people like the horror films that they like. The real reason, and I'm here to tell you this for the first time, the real reason that Patrick likes A Nightmare on Elm Street so much is that deep down he knows that his parents did something really <laughs> bad, really, really bad, and it has fucked up his life. 
and he's angry about it. He's trying to work out those feelings. And I'm joking. Well, and A Nightmare on Elm Street might be like the first R-rated horror movie I ever saw. So I'm sure there's some amount of nostalgia for it. But I also know that as an adult, I can stand outside of that nostalgia and look at it objectively and say, no, this is still my favorite. And I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but this came up at the live 500th podcast Mm -hmm. that and I think a couple people even commented on it because it came up during the podcast and then and then people wrote comments that I will forever scratch my head over why people like the original Friday the 13th. I, I don't get it. To me, it seems sort of hokey and obvious and amateurish. And <coughs> it is all those things. A long time ago, I posited the theory that a lot of people have affection for it because, like you with Nightmare on Elm Street, they may have seen it for the first time when they were quite young and it was forbidden fruit. And it really scared them, which I could see that film scaring a 10-year-old. And... um and that's why it has so much affection. Clearly, this is my blind spot because I'd like to think in most movies, even if I don't like it, I can understand why other people like it. Yeah. I just don't get it. Yeah. I just don't get it. Someone in the comments is posting under the name JB. Yeah. And they're rewatching all the Friday the 13th. And the first one, I thought, well, there's no way JB watched Friday the 13th Part 2. I was so confused because I didn't think it was you, but I was like, but somebody else is posting as JB. And I, there was no way that you were going through and rewatching all of the Friday the 13th. No. <laughs> um, in the comments, do I come up as JB or JBF this movie? JB, I think. But okay. there's a picture when you yeah. post, yeah. It's a really old picture from right with from the original I, column. Hate right, on both knuckles. Yeah, uh, the column that um, Patrick now regrets because it was just so mean, <laughs> just so mean about so many things. Oh, you like Sound of Music? <laughs> Let me shit on that for a couple paragraphs. May I? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think that my. That Nightmare on Elm Street being my favorite is because I saw it as a kid. Because I saw lots of horror movies as a kid. And they're not my favorite. Because we once went to see it at the music box. Yeah. And you guys had to get in line because I was chaperoning something oh, at the I remember school. That. And yeah. I came late and I was able was to join you in line. a double feature of Swamp Thing and Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't remember us staying for Swamp Thing. No, we did. Ray Wise was there. Really? And Robert England was You're there. You're kidding. Yeah. Swamp Thing might have been first. I'm losing my mind. But I remember the Nightmare on Elm Street screening because I knew how much you loved it, and I sat there and thought, this is leaving me cold. Really? Although there are some things I admire. I mean, you want to talk about imagination. Yeah. It's it's very, very clever um, about its central conceit, and, of course, several of the kills are very entertaining to watch. And it has my favorite uh, final girl of all time, hmm. Nancy Thompson. She's aces. All right, so Bride of Frankenstein and Nightmare on Elm Street. And and then these are not ranked. Right. But uh, I thought long and hard about one of my other choices, Night of the Living Dead, and clearly I had a an affectionate bias because I showed it in class for 30 years and really loved watching young people grapple with the ending 
which even in the we're so sophisticated 90s and, and 2000s, we are full of irony and um, cultural and media references. It's still threw them for a loop. Yeah. They did not know how to process the end of Night of the Living Dead. So nine years ago, I put that on my list. You argued for Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Dawn of the Dead is now on my list. It's on mine, too. For the following reasons. Um, while Night of the Living Dead is groundbreaking, you really have to give the nod to Dawn of the Dead for a couple reasons. Dawn of the Dead is much more ambitious and I think works just as well or even better as allegory. Yeah. Night of the Living Dead works fine as allegory, but what Dawn of the Dead has on its mind is much more sophisticated. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of people who love Dawn of the Dead. And there's nothing wrong with this. They love Dawn of the Dead on a surface level, and that's enough because, good Lord, if you like horror films, it certainly provides what you're looking for. But uh, the minute you start looking at it as anything else. Um, my wife wrote a poem. I can't remember the title. But the poem is all about Roger's line, I'm going to try not to come back, and what that's all about. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about the endless merchandising of these films, because horror fans will buy anything. Mm -hmm. I forget what store, but clearly if you Google a couple words from what I'm about to say, you'll find it. It just went on sale. It's called a pillow buddy. It's a pillow although I don't think you could use it as a pillow, but it's a real pillow. And then <coughs> Roger's face, just as he's changed, you know, that, that famous shot where he wakes up and he's a zombie. It might not be called Pillow Buddy. Um, Dawn of the Dead Pillow. Pillow Pal Prop. Pillow, it that's this? it! From and Trick or Treat Studios. It's 80 bucks. Yeah. And it's like a mask. It's 3D. It's plastic. It looks, it's, it's life size. It's a mask of Roger who's just turned into a zombie embedded into a pillow. So you could put that on your bed and pull up the covers. <laughs> oh, look. <laughs> yeah, there so, it see, is. I'm not alone in thinking that's what this is for. Yeah. Um, it comes with a pillow attached to him via Velcro. Exactly. So the pillow comes with it. And that's the. Pillow Pal. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure we've all had this experience. I know I had it in my classroom because for years I had a life-size Alfred Hitchcock. And for the first six months, you would see it out of the corner of your eye and you would get startled right. because you thought someone was in the room that you were. For about six months, I'd, ah! <laughs> And all of my students said the same thing, that it drove them nuts. Yeah. If you put the Pillow Pal <laughs> yeah. in your bedroom... Almost every night when you went up to bed, when you went to bed, you would, oh, oh, yeah, oh, right, oh, 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 I bought right, that. Right. I bought that. But you want to talk about the ends of merchandising. It's pretty great. Good luck. You going to buy one? I mean, maybe. I don't know. Not really for 80 bucks, but I do like it. One of my big regrets at Flashback Weekend. white sheets, though. One of my big regrets at Flashback Weekend was he was a guest one year. Yeah, a couple of years ago. And I really wish I had gotten his autograph for Jan because yeah. Jan is such a fan of that movie and specifically such a fan of that storyline. In fact... She wrote a piece about him for, last year for or the year before. great horror performances yeah. that 
the what his character his character arc is really interesting yeah. in, in the film as a whole. Sorry, I keep coughing. It's okay. Um, yeah, for me, Dawn of the Dead has always been so that it's still on my list. I have two crossovers from what I called the best to what I'm calling my favorites. Dawn of the Dead is one of them. Uh, it's still one of my favorites, and for me, Dawn versus Night is almost the same as Nightmare on Elm Street versus Halloween, where it's like one just makes total sense to me as a movie that speaks to me, and the other is this thing that I can hold up and admire and say, this is brilliant, this is perfect. Because if I remember correctly, our friend Doug... Hello, L.A. Doug. Hello, L.A. Doug. ...has the exact opposite opinion because he's spoken about Night of the Living Dead, and I'm so proud of that because I think he saw that for the first time in my class. I believe you are correct. Um, Also, and we were talking before about nostalgia from when you were a kid uh dawn of the dead was released unrated i believe i was a sophomore in high school and uh i went to see it at the late lamented woodfield theater and uh they were checking id but i'm wondering uh because i've always looked older than i am i would have been 16 so i wasn't old enough and i got in yeah and I'm a lifelong horror fan, but I still remember that screening. And I, <laughs> it's not just me. I mean, not, it's like watching John Carpenter's The Thing. No one had ever seen yeah. anything like that. Yeah. You want to talk about, is this marketing hype? No one under 17. It doesn't have a rating. This will knock your socks off. And then we actually get a film that delivers right. and, and actually provides that. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. It's one of those that I would consider not just one of my favorites, but one of the best horror movies ever made. Also, and this might have something to do with showing it in class year after year after year after year, um, I now find Dawn of the Dead much more repeatable. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have this theory about Night of the Living Dead, and I don't, I'm sure I've spoken about it before, but I saw Night of the Living Dead theatrically a couple years ago and felt like it didn't play as well on a big screen as it does on TV, that it almost needs the claustrophobia of TV, that it lost something on the big screen. And I've never seen Dawn of the Dead on a big screen because, well, you can't, because the guy who owns the rights, he owns this and Martin, and refuses to allow them to be shown or put on Blu-ray. Although there is a company yeah. in, the, in the UK, I think, that's putting, supposed to be putting them out on Blu-ray this year. Does he know there's money to be made? I think he he thinks there's too much money to be made. I think he wants more money than anyone is willing to pay. Oh, okay. I think. Because whenever I watch Richard it... Richard Rubenstein, is that right? Oh, I think so. Okay. Whenever I watch it... Yes, there. It's on the poster. Richard Rubenstein. I have to go back. I believe it was Anchor Bay put out that big black That's what I have, too, yeah. ...of all the different versions and yeah. stuff. And yeah. it's like, why am I watching this on DVD? The DVD you know? actually looks pretty great. Sure. But, yeah, it sucks to not. There was a Blu-ray briefly in the early days of Blu-ray. Anchor Bay put out a Blu-ray without all the extra stuff. And it's famously out of print and goes for lots and lots of money. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, All right. So, Bride of Frankenstein, Dawn of the Dead. What's next for you? Bride of Frankenstein, Dawn of the Dead. You said Nightmare on Elm Street, so it's your turn. Dawn of the Dead. Oh, because we repeated. Correct. Okay. At this point... I would like a short time out okay. to to wonder aloud if something is cheating. Interesting. I wound up with six films. <laughs> okay. So there's two ways we can go. 
Two of them can tie. <laughs> Don't you love that when you look at lists? Oh, it's a tie. Or I can go with the basic five and then at the end slip one as, as, as an honorable mention. I'm fine with six. It's, it, you know. However you want to do it. Yeah, no, I'm fine with six if you want So nine years ago, my Carpenter film was Halloween. You made a case for The Thing. Yeah. I am now replacing Halloween on my list with The Thing. All right, we have another crossover because that's still on my list as so well. So you haven't changed at all. Uh, three, and I'm three Mr. Of the, Fickle. Three of the five have I'm changed. Mr. Fickle. But Dawn um, of the Dead and The Thing still <laughs> remain for me. Ultimately, I thought The Thing is much more repeatable than Halloween. And just like I said about Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead, I think The Thing works on a lot more levels okay. than Halloween does. It's hard for me to see Halloween as an allegory for anything. Sure. The thing is an allegory for anything you right. want to... Well, right. it's the downfall of the church. Clearly, <laughs> that's what he's talking. I mean, really, it's sure. an all-purpose um, metaphor. As a founding member of the He-Man Women Haters Club, um, I love that there are no women in the thing. No women to... Just, this is the way men act when men are by themselves. When men are by themselves, men act like the Three Stooges. Right. That's why women hate the Three Stooges. Oh. Because they know, oh, this is what men would act like <laughs> if there were no women to, 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 to tame them. Perhaps. I once heard someone suggest that all men can be broken down into three categories. Which the stooge mo, you are? Oh, my the gosh. The Moe, the Larry, and the Curly. Interesting. That you are insane. Okay. You you are you are bug nuts crazy. You're a curly. Okay. You're an abusive asshole, uh, mo. Right. Or you are along for the ride and completely ineffectual, and it, you, your presence means nothing. Larry. My gut said I'm a Larry, and <laughs> I no, think I might don't, be. Don't sell yourself short. Maybe you have an inner curly. What's a shemp? <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to go Curly Joe. Like, I feel like that's going too far. Okay, try, Shemp the, is try as this far as I want to go. All right. Some men might consider being called a Curly a compliment. It is not. <laughs> but some men... Are any of them a compliment? But, no, not at all. Yeah, exactly. Men are, are horrible. <laughs> I can say that. We're the worst. Look what we've done to the world. Um that some men who mistakenly think being a curly is a compliment are not curly. They're not good enough to be curly. Okay. They're the shemp. Oh, okay. The shemp is the guy right. who aspires to be a curly right. and fails. Got it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. And also men who have a greasy hank of hair that constantly falls down in their face. Yeah. It's like, shemp, it's called a barber. Look into it. <laughs> When I was a kid, I find that I found that ooh, what yeah. is ooh? It was always a bummer when a shemp one came. It was the worst when a curly Joe came on. Like, why are they even fucking around with this? Um, I want the I would, original three. I would argue that Joe Besser is worse than Curly Joe. Okay, yeah. Curly Joe as is curly as Larry. Curly Joe okay. is so old. Right, right, right. He's yeah. He's, you're right. Joe Besser is even worse. He's I forgot neutered. Joe Besser. Right. And and Joe Besser is just this outdated sissy character who... So I'm probably a Joe Besser. Why do you put yourself down? <laughs> because I'm a Joe Besser. Maybe it's because you were right in your original assumption <laughs> and you're Larry. Larry. 
Um, I'd like to be a curly. I suspect I'm a mole. <laughs> Deep down, I have a bad feeling about that. Anyway, that's a digression. Um, so the thing uh, has replaced Halloween, and um, the thing is very close to being on that. Uh, uh, what's the adjective I'm looking for? It's a list of films that's very short. Where if it's on, you have to drop everything you're doing and watch sure, it. Sure. So um, my list uh, for that phenomenon is very short. It's Twelve Angry Men. And Shattered Glass. Don't ask me why. The problem is they did that remake of The Thing. Mm. And when you're scoo- oh, right. when you're scooching right. around the guide on the cable, that's the one that comes up a lot now. Yeah. And it's always, The Thing! Oh, shit. <laughs> God damn it. Why couldn't they have called it something else so it they doesn't get really your hopes up? They should have. The bad thing. It's really not good. The disappointing thing, <laughs> That's 2011. That's what it is, yeah. Um, but uh, John Carpenter's reimagining of the thing from another world is just endlessly repeatable. Um, it's got one of the great endings in, in, in horror history, I think. Um, and in the previous podcast, we talked at some length about the special effects, which I would argue the thing... Well, first of all, I don't like CGI. I think I've made that clear on the website, I would argue that the thing has practical effects that rival CGI. I think the thing has the I don't think this is controversial. I think the thing has the single best practical effects in any movie ever. And proof of this is that if I remember correctly, they put Rob Botin in the hospital. He was right. doing yes. he sort of had a, yeah. a, a a nervous breakdown right. and he had to be he was sleeping on set and Working around the clock. And and I remember on that wonderful documentary that was only available on the DVD for yes, a while. But now, but now it's on, it on the Screen Blu-ray, Factory. Thank goodness. That a lot of the actors remember how the entire set smelled like acetone. Right. Because that's one of the right. materials they were using. Right. And I wondered if that had something to do with the fact you can't be around that 24 hours a day. That's not good. That's not good for you. Do you think Dawn of the Dead and The Thing inching up your list... Or you seeing them as better films has anything to do with them being later works from their respective directors, that each director had gotten better by the time they made these movies? I think that's part of it, but I think another part of it, and I was thinking about this last night because I was with a group of people and we were watching the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it occurred to me last night, I had never seen that movie ever with other people. We saw it at the Music Box a couple of years ago. Did we? Yeah, we did. At a midnight show when Dark Sky did their 4K restoration. Was I there? You were there. We went together. Are you sure? Positive. That's the only time I've seen it theatrically. Okay. I had never seen Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre with such an intimate group. That is true. Uh, here's actually the difference. A whole bunch of people last night had never seen it before. That's and pretty cool. It it got to them. Yeah. Because as we all know... Uh, one of Toby's gifts in that film is that he presents a horrible situation and then it just keeps going. Right. This needs to stop. You are saying sitting in your seat. When will this stop? The The best example of this I can think of is when we give Grandpa the hammer <laughs> and that scene, yeah. it's, oh my God, that as I get older, I think I 
am much more comfortable with films that while they're dark and it doesn't get much darker than Dawn of the Dead and the Thing have a sense of awareness about them and in a curious way even a sense of humor sure think about this Bride of Frankenstein obviously Dawn of the Dead I don't think it has comic relief but there's a definite sense of humor about it right and even even in the thing um, I'm thinking of that line that always gets a laugh when they're doing the blood test and we're figuring out who the beast is. And then uh, the guy with the eyebrows. Donald Moffat. Says. Something about Now untie me from this fucking chair. Yeah, right. um, that uh, the older I get, the more I appreciate that and appreciate the unrelenting thing less. Mm-hmm. Although I admire, given that, you know, these are American commercial films. Any filmmaker who manages to go unrelenting and doesn't have right. his vision or her vision um, watered down. And it almost uh, ruined John Carpenter's career. Which, again, you you look at the way things play out and um, is there any way to really judge a film the year it comes out? No, not at all. I think there might be a couple examples. I'm thinking when Jurassic Park came out. Mm-hmm. Jurassic Park was a sensation and should have been. And you watch that movie now and it is a perfect entertainment. Right. You're, you're a fan. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just that is really Spielberg working at full Spielberg. Mm-hmm. But other than that, people's first reactions are notoriously wrong. Right. Look at the Marx Brothers and Duck Soup. Look at Michael Powell and Peeping Tom. Look at John Carpenter and the Thing. In fact, um, Carpenter's The Thing kept him from... You've told me the story. That he was supposed to make Firestarter. Exactly. He got fired off of Firestarter. And again, with all due respect to what's-his-name, I would love to see John sure, Carpenter's sure. Firestarter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so that's three of the five. What's next for you? Because I had the same one. The thing. Because you don't change. Because I don't change. I'm unchanging. Unlike the thing, which <laughs> changes a lot. And then suddenly my left arm. Oh, dear. Picture this. It's oh. theater of the mind. My left arm becomes a dog. Oh, wow. So I did three. All right. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go with five and then, a, and then an honorable mention. Got it. Uh, my fourth film is now Near Dark. Okay. Um, I love it. I think vampires should be represented. Sure. Um, I used to show it in class, although I think like the other films that I've sort of reassessed, um, Near Dark has a lot of repeatability Mm -hmm. to it. Um, I also love that it was directed by a woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love all of Catherine Bigelow's films and uh, the late, great Bill Paxton. I think I think he's as good in Near Dark as everyone gives him credit for being in Aliens Two. Yeah, I would agree Largely with that because assessment. of Dana Carvey on SNL. That's where I think that whole thing got started. Yeah. But when you watch Aliens Two, it's kind of amazing how little he's in the film. Right. Um, in Near Dark, he's practically the whole show for at least a quarter of it. Yeah. Um, great concept. Um, some things with vampires that had never really been done before. It's been called a vampire western. I'm not sure about that. Um, I really like the fact that the Van Helsing character is the dad mm-hmm. who's a vet. Um, 
and I think Tim Thomerson, yeah, which is always going to make a movie better. That some people might think the bookends with the dad are hokey, but I don't think it's hokey at all. And I think Thomerson really sells. Yeah. He, <coughs> excuse me. He's square. He's normal. He doesn't uh, care, and he's got that great line in the in the motel. Um, Real people don't get back up when you shoot them. No, sir. Um, so very much like Van Helsing, he's our voice of reason. Um, great performances, great special effects. Um, I would even argue great dialogue, although some of it has sort of become memes that people sure. repeat over sure. and over. Um, you'll never find a better scene in a horror film than the scene in the bar, which is sort of the centerpiece of the yeah. whole thing. Um which accomplishes something that a lot of horror films try for, but not a lot of horror films achieve, that we can still revel in what they're doing and still have sympathy for the victims. Right. Yeah. And that's a hard balancing act. Just the invention, I think, of the Homer character, I think is so interesting. This (laughs) idea of this little kid who's lived for so many years that he's essentially become an adult man trapped in the body of a child. And it's not even a subtext because he talks about it. Yeah. And the assumption is this is is beyond explicit. It's in the film. One of the other vampires says, do you know – how tired we are of right, listening right. to you talk about this interview with a vampire does something similar right with the kirsten dunst yeah. character and i don't remember when that book was written so i'm not suggesting one influenced the other um but near dark was the first time i had encountered a character like that and i just thought it was so interesting i'm not the biggest fan of interview with a vampire no me but, either but i still remember the trailer and I thought the most chilling thing I think I saw that whole year, and certainly the most tri- chilling thing in the trailer, is I think it's at the end, it's the tag. Kirsten Dunst rises in the frame and says, I want more. Yeah. Well, she's the best thing in that yeah. movie, which, like you, I don't have a lot of affection for. And, of course, horror film lineage, uh, the actor who plays Homer is yeah. the son. Joshua Miller. Of Jason Miller, who yeah. plays uh, uh, Karis, uh, Father Karis in The Exorcist. So, wow. And Talk now about... is a successful screenwriter and wrote a horror film a couple of years ago called The Final Girls that has a large cult following. Pedigree, man. Yeah. So, because I can only see Miller as Homer, he grew up and he looks like a man, right? No, he's still actually that age. Uh, <laughs> he's so still stunt, 12. stunt casting. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, but that, you you agree Near Dark is really something special. Yeah. I we think suffers from the fact that for a while it was unavailable, and then that Blu-ray came out, and it's always – Blu-ray sort of, is out of print, I think. That so. it's considered sort of second tier, which I don't think it deserves. I remember on the Blu-ray, uh, Adrian Pazdar is on the commentary, and at one point plaintively says that he had lost track of Jenny Wright – yeah. And that if you hear this, contact me because I'd like to hear from you because she kind of disappeared. She's on Facebook and she's interesting. She started to do shows. Oh, okay. But what? It, why is her Facebook presence interesting? Because she seems like somebody that maybe went missing for a few years. Yeah, which I yeah. I find terrifying. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I saw right before I got off Facebook, this might have been Twitter, but it might have been Facebook. Um the the woman who played Audrey on Twin Peaks, Sherilyn Fenn, yes, yeah, has become very religious. Oh, very, 
very religious. Really? So it surprised me that she did the the new the episodes return, on Showtime. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, it's interesting to see what some of these actors become on social media. Do you think Near Dark uh, at the time suffered at all from coming out so close to the Lost Boys that those two are always sort of mentioned in sentences with each other? I think so. Um, I kind of remember it didn't have much of a release. And again, I saw it on the Friday it opened, and I just thought, this this is the this is the whole package, and was really surprised when it sort of yeah. faded into obscurity. Yeah, it's too bad. If I know one year we did a show on vampire movies, and I'm sure that we listed it there because it's certainly one of the best vampire movies ever made. And our very own Rosalie had, I think, commented on Twitter that to start Scary Movie Month, she listened to that podcast. Oh, okay. And wondered if any of our choices had changed since then. I wonder what our choices were. And I, I had thought that you had read that, and that was one of the uh, that was one of the inspirations for this podcast. No, but I guess I should have. So next year we'll revisit vampires. <laughs> if memory serves, that was on my list. Because okay, it has to be. It's, it has to be. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, number four for me is probably not a surprise at all, and that is the Fun House, and that is a movie that this I did see. Somebody recently posted that they had listened to maybe our first massacre show. And they said it's really interesting to hear your opinions on certain things change. Yeah, they used the word the evolution. Fun house and I think Italian horror or Fulci specifically. Well, that I know. I remember right. that right. progression. Right. And so at the time, I remember seeing the Fun House and I was alone at that point and liking it. And it sort of being this awakening for me like, oh, this movie's way better than I remember it being. And then since then, it has only grown in my estimation and is certainly a movie that if it's on, it doesn't show very often, but if it does, I have to sit and watch it. Uh, it's a horror movie I can rewatch more than most others. I'm able to put it on pretty much any time. Um, okay, this explains a lot because I read that and I got stuck on the word evolution and I was trying to figure out what they meant, but now I do. Yeah. Um, it is my favorite movie from my favorite director. And so obviously there needs to be a Toby Hooper movie somewhere on my list. And the fun house is my favorite of his movies. So it's a lot of fun. It's interesting in the spirit of the Roger pillow pal <laughs> that what little merchandising there is from the fun house. Every time someone takes a gamble and buys the right, license, right. that one split head creature becomes Gunther. part of the merchandising. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not a movie that gets talked about a whole lot still. It's not, you know, Scream Factory's Blu-ray helped a little bit. I think Scream Factory has done a lot for the careers of both John Carpenter and Toby Hooper yeah. by putting out most of their work. Um, and it's a movie that I think people talk about sometimes like, oh, they should remake that. Because I think to a lot of people, it's like... Yeah. What, the ultimate compliment? <laughs> It's or, not. <laughs> or, you know, a movie that's, like, just good enough to be worthy of a remake but didn't quite work. And there are certainly those movies that you look at and, you know, instead of remaking a great movie, why not remake a flawed movie? And that's how they consider The Funhouse. Um, I would beg to differ. I'm fine without them remaking it ever. Um, although we have had a lot of sort of remakes of it in recent years just with all of the extreme haunt 
yeah. movies where it turns out that the thing in the haunted house is a real killer. Yeah, or, it's becoming a subgenre. Right. All of a sudden. Hellfest came out, I think, last year that Adam Risky loved, and that's essentially the fun house. We were talking about this last night because our friend Mike is about to do his master's thesis. And one of the things he's proposed to his thesis committee is to talk about the way that young people watch horror films. And if there's um, a societal or psychological difference between watching them with a group of friends in a theater, watching them with a group of friends at home, or watching them by yourself on a phone. If you can actually find research on this um, and that this subgenre of the haunted haunt seems to me to be movies desperately trying to get young people back into the theater because the film itself is about this thing that you do with your friends. Right. We all right. went right. to right. the right. haunted attraction. Right. We all went to the haunted house. And um, clearly the filmmakers know that fewer and fewer people are going to the movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not just when I go, right? I I go to the movies and I'm surprised by how few people are there yeah. lately. Is there a secret theater that everyone's going to? That no, I think people aren't going as much. I think it's hard to compete with Netflix. Speaking of the theater, uh, the other day I was at Regal Lincolnshire, which finally broke down and got the big, comfy recliners. Oh, they had right. regular seats yeah. forever. And uh, I was uh, I was there to see a documentary that was only at Regal Lincolnshire. And during the the trailers, Regal presented their version of the A list. You ready for this? I'm ready. Talk about competition. It's two dollars less a month than AMC's A list. It's unlimited. Oh. It's not three movies right, a week. Right. You can see a hundred movies a month. They don't care. Wow. You you can go as much as you want. And then, for people who think, well, AMC is only doing that to then later soak you at the concession stand, every time you go to the movies, there's a $10 off 15 at the concession stand. Holy cow. So in theory, unlimited movies for the month, and most people get a popcorn and a right. soda pop, that's about bucks. 15 right. and that's going to be 5 bucks. Wow. Yeah. It makes you wish there were more regal theaters. Say, too bad we don't live closer to In a regal area. theater. That's it's true. Um, so I wonder about that because it's – I find I find it very interesting that there's all these films uh, all of a sudden about it's really haunted. Right. There's a monster in there right. and right. You know, what it might mean. Yeah. And so my fifth is something of a um, – what's the word? A compromise, because I so desperately wanted to come up with five new films, just for the sake of variety, and uh, I knew that Bride of Frankenstein cannot be knocked from the list, and I took a long, hard look at Psycho, which, by the way, is the name of a really good book. A long, hard a look long, at Psycho. A long, hard look at Psycho. It's an expanded BFI monograph about Psycho. I think Erica has it. It's really terrific. Yeah. I remember reading it and liking it. But let's say... That like a song that's played too many times on FM radio, you get sick of the hits sure. and you want a deep cut. Um, I replace Psycho with Shadow of a Doubt. Okay. For a number of reasons. Um, I love it. I, I think it's really, really great, especially because it was made in the 40s. Hitchcock always said it was his favorite film of all the films that he made. 
and it's a different take on the um ah uh, where's the word um serial killer right because we're plunked down into this normal town and the screenplay was co-written by Thornton Wilder who wrote Our Town and the whole town is very authentically gee whiz mom are we going to the hoedown and suddenly Uncle Charlie arrives and um there's something wrong with Uncle Charlie. And just the way the whole film deals with the dichotomy between, for instance, the father and his crazy best friend play this game where they try to come up with ways of killing people where you wouldn't be found out and arrested. So that's the sub, the like playful murder. And yet at the head of the dinner table, there's someone who has actually done it. And more than that, obviously really likes doing it. Um, Joseph Cotton has a speech about halfway through that just, it's probably the most famous scene in the film, but it just guts me every time I see it. He starts going on and on at the dinner table about these useless women. And it is just chilling, especially because the film takes the form of a normal 40s entertainment. And then we plunk down a much more modern a much darker figure than we normally find in 40s movies. Um, it's great. It's probably not as scary as Psycho. Right. It's I, less of a horror movie, I would say. <laughs> it's, um, And I'm not a big fan of the ending, which seems to be from another film. Hmm. I would have preferred something a little bit less crazy and darker, but uh, Shadow of a Doubt it is, so that's my fifth film. All right. My fifth was a toss-up because I knew it was going to be some kind so of So you weird... have a tie? No, I don't have a tie because I one edged the other one out, but I knew it was going to be something weird in Italian. And I was very close <laughs> to making it Suspiria, which is about as good as Italian horror gets. But my heart said, no, the beyond. It has to be the beyond. So uh, oh, wow. Lugio Fulci's The bold, Beyond. That's a bold statement. It is my uh, fifth choice. And again, it's not... As perfect a movie as Suspiria, but I love it for its flaws and for its rough edges. Somewhere, Tim Lucas is applauding you. Oh, yeah? Because, oh, he was the one who introduced me to Fulci. Okay. Uh, In one of the first issues of Video Watchdog, there was a long essay called How to Watch a Fulci Film. Oh. Where one of the theses, that rhymes with feces, one of the theses of this column, this article was that you cannot watch his work the way you watch any other right, film. Right. And here's why. Uh, wow. I'm very surprised. Really? Uh, especially because I hold Suspiria in such great esteem. Uh, it's coming out on 4K Blu-ray, by the Suspiria way. Suspiria is. Which is very exciting. I would not hold my breath for a 4K Blu-ray of the Beyond. <laughs> we never know. It could happen. Yeah, Scream Factory, get on that. <laughs> um, you had mentioned Scream Factory before. Just everything they're doing lately, the the lesser known universe. Well, they're getting films. into way more like deep cuts now because yeah. they've put out so many of the big titles. But the fact that they've now they've unlocked Warner Brothers and Paramount, and they is discovered huge. that even Universal doesn't think there's a market. Right. So it's 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 incredible to me that Universal is actually. Uh, Loaning, licensing these films to another distributor. Yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting. I I know they're going to have a couple announcements 
this October, so I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating what they're going to be. My one quibble is, and we talked about this the other day, would you put the shit out in October? I have no patience for it's November strange, 12th yes. and December 29th. Right. No, come on. Body parts they're putting out in January. And I'm so excited for body parts, I can't wait for till January. Even um, the Frank Langella Dracula. November, I think. November right? 12th. It's like, gentlemen, yeah. two weeks. Come on. Right. <laughs> Were you afraid? Oh, people won't have money because they're buying that Godzilla thing. No, I think we would have found it. Yeah, oh, the Godzilla thing. I'm waiting on Godzilla. Okay. Because a couple weeks after Halloween, it's the Barnes & Noble right, sale. Right, Um It looks great. Yeah. And in fact, we were talking about this last night. Turner Classic Movies often has access to these restorations. And every Friday in October, they're showing Godzilla movies. Right. So I think if you want to sample the transfers, at least, not the extras, I think those are the films that they're showing. Criterion Channel had a bunch of them on there as well. I'm guessing those are the same transfers if you're a subscriber to the Criterion Channel. And I guess Turner Classic Movies has a little bit of money because in the last couple of years, I noticed uh, the Cohen Media Group puts out that amazing The Old Dark House. Right. And three days later, Turner Classic Movies shows it and it's the same transfer. So way to go. Uh, you want to say more stuff about Fulci? I don't necessarily. Your man, need to. I know you don't agree. Your but. <laughs> man, Fulci. His uh, his heights are high. I I agree that his lows are low. Sometimes in the span of a same of the same movie. <laughs> well, that's part of its charm. For me, it is. Yeah, definitely. No, I love the beyond. I love the effects. I love the weird gore. I love. The score, maybe more than any other Fabio Fritzi score, um, it's it's my favorite of the Fulci movies. Again, I don't know that I would argue that it's his best because I think House by the Cemetery, or not House by the Cemetery, I'm sorry, City of the Living Dead right. is probably his best horror film. Um, I'm suddenly very familiar with this because one of the CDs I made this year for Friends at Halloween is a celebration of Giallo. Right. So the composer that you just mentioned and three of the films – Excuse me, are represented Ooh, on the CD nice. I just very handed nice. you, and it's uh, it's very strange how whenever any of that music starts up, you're instantly in the seventies or early eighties. Yeah. yeah, extraordinary how potent cheap music is. <laughs> Finally, my runner-up. So this is either a runner-up because I have to include it, or originally near dark and shadow of a doubt tide. Okay, which is bullshit. But oh, whatever. Um, what we do in the shadows. Oh, okay. Has only risen in my <laughs> estimation. I think the year it came out, it was my favorite film of the year. Maybe. It was certainly up there. That FX show has done nothing but increase my affection for it. I still haven't seen it. It's really, really good. Yeah. The only problem is FX, maybe some of you remember this from uh, Louis C.K.'s show or Better Things, um, there's just. A crazy amount of commercials. Okay. I'm I'm betting there's less than 20 minutes of show in a half an hour. But if you have the right cable system, you can pay five dollars a month. But we already pay five dollars a month for Shutter and and now Disney Plus. I'm broke. <laughs> there's a thing called FX Plus that lets you watch anything on FX with no commercials. And because I like better things and because I like what we do in the shadows and a couple other FX shows, it's the best $5 I spend um, every month. 
once you take the commercials out of the what we do in the shadows TV show, it's really really good. Okay. Um, Jermaine Clement wrote some of the episodes. I know he did the pilot. Uh, Taika Waititi was making that Thor movie, so he wasn't as um, involved. Although both of them show up in the last episode of oh, season okay. one, it's been renewed. It's well worth your time. But getting back to the original film. Every time I watch it again, I just marvel at how it never takes a misstep. Yeah. Everywhere it goes pays off. The friend stew that they pick up, uh, the build-up to Jermaine Clement's <laughs> ex-wife, the Beast. Um, and again, uh, Taika Waititi has proven to be this amazing filmmaker, and I'm so looking forward to Jojo Rabbit because it looks so great. And the the film company has so little confidence in the movie going audience it's a satire yeah, right. we're gonna have to yell that it's a satire because you know hitler's in it right um but i'm i'm here speaking of the the taika ytt character in what we do in the shadows and how interesting that he's sort of the through line in the narrator because he's really sweet mm-hmm. and so positive about everything, um, which is one of the reasons why I love the film, because when you put it on, that he's the first scene. Mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> it's so much fun to share a flat with other guys. And he's going to wake up Nosferatu. It's just, there's nothing in that film that's bad. What's the definition? Three great scenes, no bad yeah, scenes. Yeah. Um, we're werewolves, not swearwolves. No. It's just endlessly um, repeatable, endlessly quotable. I think most people love it, but I yeah, still I think don't so think too. it's gotten enough love. It's it's so so great. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I, everybody I know loves it. I've never heard heard anybody say anything bad about it. One of those places that we buy T-shirts from on the internet—they're all interchangeable to me <laughs> at this point. Uh, put out an enamel pin. Of Jermaine Clement as the cat. Remember that one yeah, weird yeah, yeah. CGI scene? He's yeah. a cat. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my honorable mention, what we do in the shadows. And clearly, um, The Thing, The Shining, Dracula, Dawn of the Dead, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Halloween, The Exorcist, Bride of Frankenstein, Night of the Living Dead, Psycho, What We Do in the Shadows, The Fun House, The Thing, again, um, Near Dark, Shadow of a Doubt, you you can do worse. You can do much worse. These are great films that should um, be the foundation of anyone's sort of horror knowledge or horror yeah. love. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, thank you guys. Thanks for doing the show. It was fun. Yeah. Keep writing your seven-word reviews every time you watch a scary movie in October. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe in iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're all over the place. Follow me on Twitter. I've said this you before. JBF This Movie. Yeah. I need more followers. Okay. Are, is everyone aware of Mr. Pumpy? Mr. Uh, Pumpy's back. Not. Yeah. There's only 10 people who like Mr. <laughs> Pumpy, and yet I'm going to write 31 new jokes. I'll bet we can get that up to 12. Mr. Pumpy uh, yesterday was speaking Spanish. Wow. But the joke was punctured because I didn't realize that Twitter, in its infinite usefulness, immediately offers you a a translation. You don't even have to go to another. You just have to press a button and the joke. Come on. 
that. I yeah. originally envisioned that as a joke only for my Spanish speaking <laughs> friends. Yeah. I didn't want I didn't want anyone to get the joke other than people who speak Spanish. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Mr. Pumpy is a candy dish and um he says things. Thanks for listening everybody. Listening to FS Movie.